outside the road is mixed with mud When the rain is pouring down you can't hold back the flood Stampede's rolling, Stampede's rolling Stampede's rolling, Stampede's rolling Good evening everyone and welcome to the first episode of the Rock and Horror Podcast Show People that know me, I'm Rob, I'm your host um, it's great to be back behind the mic. Anybody that knows me, um, and I'm sure most of my listeners do know me, uh, know that I love New York City. Um, have since probably I saw Tootsie when I was a kid and, and just fell in love with the, <laughs> the, the whole entire thing. Um, and there is a book that captures the essence of, of music, of New York City, um, and it literally has New York City in the title. It's called Rock Bottom at the Renaissance, an emo kid's journey through falling in and out of love in and with New York City. And I am joined by the author, Mike Henneberger. Um, and he is here to just basically shoot the shit with me about music and and Just hang culture. out, man. And um, I've been waiting yeah, to talk to you for well well over a year it's probably very long about a year time. And three months or so so um yeah man we've been talking about doing this for a long time i'm glad we're finally doing it you it's funny because we came in contact when um i think it was dashboard was having its concert last year its live stream um where chris well, actually it wasn't even really dashboard it was just chris and he was doing that uh the thing in his garage um and you, yeah. you had reached out to me because I had talked about the High Fidelity podcast that I did, which was actually my last uh, podcast with the R&D project. And, um, you know, you said, I have, I got something for you to read. And uh, you shipped me out a copy of the book, which I still have. <laughs> and it, it really followed in the same vein as, um, as a High Fidelity. Um, I just didn't know how much the book was going to hit me. Um, and we'll get into that later, but, um, you know, I, I don't know that I've, I've ever seen something written so raw, um, something where you basically might as well have stripped off your clothes and run naked through Times Square, because that's how, how exposed you are. And I, kudos to you, man. I mean, I've been writing my whole life and I don't let people in to that. And, um, you know, I write for probably many of the same reasons that that you do um you say in your book you know you call yourself a writer but you don't write and it's not because you can't um but you write yeah. for yourself yeah yeah and i mean i still struggle with this because and it scares me because i finally put the book out and i started writing this book and so this book is a memoir of like the first years I moved to New York City. So it's like 2011 to like 2014. Um, and it's a time when I, you know, I, I didn't know many people here. I had one friend who, you know, I write about in the book who was my best friend at the time, but he met a girl who became his wife. And when that happened, we like never hung out. So I was pretty much alone in this city. Um, <clears throat> that was supposed to be this place I would come to and find all these people who, who were the kinds of people that I would be friends with, or the kinds of, you know, women who I, who were the kinds that I wanted to date, you know, and people who I didn't find back home in Texas. Um, and so I had this like romanticized idea about the city and 
a lot of the um, darkness and depression in the book comes from, on the surface level, it comes from relationships and failed relationships here. But really what it's based in is romanticizing the city because of movies that we've seen and because of books we've read and, you know, myths we've heard of writers and musicians who lived here um and uh but yeah back back then and still now i i still don't write the important things you know it's like this book is you know being i mean i'm discussing it a lot with people right now because the book actually on june 6th is the year anniversary of it coming out which blows my mind because that went so fast <clears throat> and the audiobook just came out like two weeks ago. So I've been talking about it a lot for the last year, but I finished it maybe like five years ago, you know? And I mean, you're talking about, you know, burying myself and, you know, being raw and stuff, but that's the reason it didn't come out for five years. Right. It's because it was like so, it is, it is very raw and it, it exposes a lot of things about me that when my mental health was still in the bad shape that it was in the book, I didn't want people to know that about me. And so I didn't put it out. I didn't let people know about it because I didn't want them to say like, wow, Mike's pretty fucked up because I was, but now I've worked really hard on, you know, learning how to deal with my mental health issues. But now I get to say, like, look how fucked up I was, right. and now look who, how I am now. Like, so if you're fucked up right now, there's hope that it doesn't have to be that way all the time, you know? And so, like, there's absolutely no bravery in putting this out. Like, I put it out once I wasn't that person anymore, yeah. you know? Um, and unfortunately, like, I'll say this to also, like, I feel like maybe I'm subconsciously managing expectations for whatever I do next, but like I wrote that book in the way that it's stated in the book, like in the book, I talk about in the book, I'm chronicling the time that I wrote the book and I'm on, I'm abusing pills. My head is messed up because of depression and anxiety and I'm drinking scotch with those pills. And I wish I could say that, I am confident that I could write another book like that, but I'm not. Uh, So yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do next, but I mean, I I know I'm like, like I say in the book, I'm confident in my writing. I know I'm a good writer, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I should just learn how to accept credit. I don't, I don't don't know how to do that. I don't like hear discredited myself, but so yeah. Like you said, you're you call yourself a writer, but you don't write, and that's been that's been one of my biggest problems over the years. I wrote a book called Press Between Pages, um, <clears throat> wrote it in 2010, and it's still going through edits. And obviously, being a dashboard person, um, you know where the line "Press Between Pages" comes from. This ruined puzzle, and oh yeah, <laughs> it was um, it was a labor I was just of love. Listening to that today, it. It really, so I'll take you back. So I grew up in Lake Opatcong, New Jersey, um, biggest lake in the state. Um, didn't really grow up here, but I moved here when I was 11. And that's when my whole world started to change. So I always say that I grew up in, in Lake Opatcong. 
actually the borough of Hopatcon for all my people out there that are from Hopatcon. Um, and I grew up with um, a, a wonderful dad, um, unfortunately, a, um, a an abusive stepmother um, who gave into her vices with alcohol. And um, it was it was very tough. So I, what I would do is I would find myself down by the lake on the dock and just write. And I created this whole, and I wasn't very well liked. I was not popular. Um, you know, how I got to where I am today, I have no idea because I was a big wallflower and it was because people didn't want to talk to me. Um, we were poor, you know, I didn't have the best clothes. I didn't have the best sneakers or, you know, anything like that. And it was tough. And yeah. um, it was, um, it was writing that kind of released me. So I created this, this persona, this Chris Dalton, um, and he was my, it was almost like an alter ego, but it was only on paper. So it was all the things that That's I aspired cool. to be and that I couldn't do myself. He was a guitarist. He was in a band. He sang, I did sing, <laughs> but I mean, the rest yeah. of it was, you know, he was the guy that got the girl and, you know, so I, I took him and I, I started this, this book back then in, in freshman year called lessons in life. But I was 14, so I really didn't have any lessons in life. Um, you know, so when I revisited him as part of National Novel Writing Month uh, in 2010, all of this stuff just came out. And it was, uh, it, it just turned into this whole wonderful, different thing. And it was funny because the person that I wrote the book about, the, the female, you know, hero or heroine, um, she got to read the book and she realized that it really was about her. Um, wow. Which, you know, so my, my, the girl was, you know, it's been the girl since I was 11 years old and we both went on our, you know, separate paths in life. Um, you know, she ended up dating my best friend for God, 18 years or so. Um, they bought a house together. Yeah. Um, he was one of the first people I called because they broke up very, very, you know, friendly, like if you can have a friendly breakup. Um, and he was one of the first people I called them, like, I'm going to start dating her. And he was like, well, she's crazy. You know that, right? You know? <laughs> so I was like, yeah, <laughs> but this is what I want. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, yeah. my, and I kept reading, reading through your book and, you know, talking about the girl and the girl two and the girl three. Um, and it was like, that girl was always there for me. And I just didn't have the courage or the guts to actually say something to her back in the day. Um, so when I wrote Emma, the character, I mean, I was really, really, it was her. And I didn't realize that. I don't think at first either. It was sort of like, um, if you've ever seen the movie, The Dark Half, you know, where it's like- the, Yeah, that, the Stephen King. Right. It's that other side yeah. that just starts writing and boom. And, you know, that's one of the things about your book that I find intriguing is that you know, you're writing in that moment. Um, so much of the book happens in that hotel. Um, you know, yeah. and I, 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 I'm going to say this because I love knocking myself all the time, but I didn't even put one and one together about the Renaissance until like the third time that I read the book. <laughs> it's like, wait a second. Oh, yeah. Just, the Renaissance <laughs> Hotel. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but yeah. I, yeah. No, I, I mentioned, but I, I've also like, thought about that because I've only I only mention it like 
two or three times in the book right. and it's very like quickly in passing so that's i mean i i don't think that's that that crazy to miss it um but no that's 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 crazy we do have a, we seem to have a lot in common you know like i i write about in the book how you know i grew up poor too i was not popular at all growing up um it's, it's really funny because like i've gotten a lot of support from people in my hometown and like whatever like what you were saying like where you grew up is outside of like a place that you actually like say because that's what people know and it's the same for me like Corpus Christi is the place people know but I grew up 45 minutes away from that in a small town um and Corpus Christi was like the place we would have to go to like go to a real mall or go to a real movie theater um but uh, I grew up in this small town called Kingsville and I wasn't like bullied or like nobody really did anything to me to make me feel out of place there. It's just, I think, and this is crazy because like, as I talk more and more about the book, I'm learning more about myself Mm -hmm. and, and learning things about the book too. But I've come to learn or, or realize in the last year that I think I did it to myself because like I was born in San Diego, California and my dad was in the Navy and he got transferred to Kingsville. This is like, I mean, from, you know, Southern California beach city to random ranch town in South Texas. Um, And I think, I mean, I was only like six or seven when I moved there, but I had a best friend in San Diego and I had a life in San Diego. I remember I had, I'd ride bikes with friends and stuff. And so I think moving to Texas just kind of made me, I think subconsciously, I kind of just fought it Mm -hmm. and like made myself feel like this isn't where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be in California. Um, And I think that's why I never got a Southern accent. (laughs) Um, People always say (laughs) I don't seem like I'm from Texas. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like, so I, I'm, I've come to realize that I think whatever kind of ostracization, if that's a word, but, uh, uh, I felt was kind of, was probably like self-imposed. Um, but then when I was 14, you know, I, so I started writing too, but as a songwriter, like as a singer, again, never like was not a guitarist, which I mentioned in the book was not a musician, um I was the singer in bands and I learned to write I learned to express myself in writing through writing lyrics in songs um which I I think is what kind of helps this book too is that like I'm not a book writer I never thought in my life I would write a book I've written like tv pilot scripts Mm -hmm. and screenplays um and music journalism for 15 years but I never thought I was going to write a book um, and so I don't know how to write a book. I've maybe read 15 full books in my life. Um, but, uh, uh, and some of those I've like, I've read like love in the town of cholera, like three times mm-hmm. and some other ones like a couple times. Um, but, but yeah, like I'm not a book writer. And so I feel like this comes off as like, somebody who only knows how to write songs, like three or four minute, you know, deliver it all quickly. And so the chapters are short and the book is short too. Um, But yeah, like I started writing too when I was a kid and that's changed my life, you know? 
Um, and so, yeah, I, I, and when I, when I couldn't play in bands anymore, I started writing about music and that's just how everything kind of came together. Like I just kind of music became so important to me and it just, it just, it goes hand in hand with how I'm going to express myself, right. you know, whether it's playing music or communicating it in music somehow. Um, and that's what found its way into this book when I was writing it. It's your your take on lyrics and how they kind of, you know, the Goo Goo Dolls actually in in the um, in the song Iris have a line that says, um, "When everything feels like the movies, you bleed just to know you're alive," and it's one of my favorite lines ever written in any song anywhere. <laughs> but uh, it, yeah. it's sort of the same thing where you know when you when you find yourself relating to so many songs and I remember like as a kid um you know I grew up in in sort of like the I mean the the bulk of my growing up was really in that hairband day and I mean yeah it's great yeah. to it's great to head bop but you know I like Metallica you could see Metallica's on my logo over there with the black album um you know but listening to people like Richard Marks I know people pull my man card it's okay it's all good <laughs> Um, you know, listening to songs like that and, and realizing that I liked music that told a story. I needed to know, I needed to feel the, the, the person singing and why they were singing it. And it's funny because one of my really good friends, Jesse Rubin, he's a singer songwriter out of Brooklyn. Um, he has a song called Bleaker and Sixth. And I said to him, I said, when I finally became friends with him and, you know, we started talking and, you know, hung out, whatever. Um, I said to him the one time I said, Bleaker and Six has a has a beginning that says, um, you know, it's just a beautiful song about New York. And I said, what brought that to life? And he goes, he woke up. It was like six o'clock in the morning and I might have the time wrong or whatever. But he said he needed to rhyme the word galleries and calories. And I'm like, that's fucking it. You know, I'm sitting here, you know, pouring my heart out thinking about this song. And that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I struggle with that all the time. I overthink everything. And I mean, it comes down to it. I'm well aware of what it comes down to. It's the more successful people when it comes to writing are the people who just sit down and write. Yep. You know, like the people who just have an idea and get and don't overthink it you just get it out yep. and then you can fix it up you know as you go but um but you got to get it out and i know that but i don't do it right. and um it's why if so yeah i don't i don't know how to fix it it's why most pitching coaches and hitting coaches weren't great hitters and pitchers you know because they can teach more than they could have done you know um yeah yeah. But it's Yeah. And No, no, go ahead. <laughs> oh, no. I was going to say like and I mean, I I've there've been so many times where I've I've said things and realized that like I'm I'm telling myself mm -hmm. too. Like I I'm you said like uh something you wrote is still in editing and I'm I'm not an editor and this is why it's because i overthink things so much that i don't put it down until it's ready to be put down like i mean rock bottom at the renaissance i barely edited and really only because i wrote it 
high on a bunch of pills and drunk on a bunch of scotch and you know thinking i was going to die and never really in a right frame of mind so like i cleaned it up a bit but i didn't want to edit it much because i wanted people to feel what i was feeling in that moment when i wrote it um but it was the same thing like when i did stand up like i i didn't do i didn't test stuff out at open mics a lot and not i'm not saying like cuz i'm good but I wasn't confident enough to work things out in front of people. Like I, but I was, I studied comedy enough um, and I, and I had written comedy enough that I felt like I would know when something was ready to take it out. Right. And so I'm not much of an editor, um, but that keeps me from writing. Also, I should just vomit shit out and let it suck and then be an editor sure but i'm and that's why i'm less productive or prolific than i should right. be probably and that's than I that, could be. that's one of the the greatest problems i face um i've i've recently delved into well i took i took press between pages i turned the center of the book into a one-act play which won a playwright festival um wow it was it was uh again a labor of love um and it was very visceral for me because watching these people who were some of my closest friends turning the people that I had written about, which were all composite characters based on real people, um, yeah. into, into something that was right in front of me. I mean, I, I was tearing myself apart inside. And what's funny is I can't imagine man. my stepmother came to the play with my dad and <laughs> This is actually pretty funny. Um, the The father in the book was actually based, the beginning father was based on her. Um, the person he turned into was based on my grandfather. And I, my grandfather was, I, I don't even know how to describe him. He was the best person I've ever known, the best man I've ever known. And so she <laughs> says to me afterwards, next to my girlfriend, she goes, wow, those people are so realistic and lifelike. And part of me was like, what the fuck did you think they were, mannequins? And the other part was like, oh, you don't even know. You have no idea. And yeah. it was, um, when I found out she was coming, you know, I had said to Gina, I was like, oh boy, well, she's in for a roller coaster ride. I wonder if she'll get it. And in my head, I hope that she did. Um, if she didn't, that's fine too. Um, you know, I've, I've, I'm 46 years old. I'll be 47 next, next month. And I don't, whatever she is or whatever, you know, happened in the past happened in the past. She treats my girls like gold. You know, I have three adult daughters yeah. and, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, that's all it comes down to because the, the part of the part of my, the part of life that she needed to be there for me, she wasn't. And that's yeah it is what it is you know no and 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 i'm sorry go ahead no no it, it's um and it, it, some of that stuff is is hard to look back at and one of the things that i loved about your book is that there's certain just certain things that happen in there and it was almost like you've said you know we have a lot in common and you know even you putting lyrics at the beginning of your chapters i did that with press between pages back in 2010 and i was like oh, I, wow. I had songs in my head in fact dusk and summer was was um the album that i really listened to by dashboard um 
you know, and people go out and listen to Dusk and Summer by Dashboard Confessional if you haven't. It's an incredible album all the way top to bottom. Um, but that really guided me. And then so reading your book and, and seeing some of these things, I mean, it was it was almost like part of me felt PTSD. You know, I sat there and I said to Gina, I was like, oh, my God, I said, let me read you this, this, and she got annoyed, she was getting annoyed, you know, I'm like, let me read you this, this line, like, oh my God, this is, this is me without, and, and I mean, I drank, but I didn't, I didn't drink to excess, um, I did dabble, um, didn't do that to excess either, but I was suicidal um, for a, a large portion of my life. Um, and you know, I'm not afraid to say, and <clears throat> I'm sure she won't care that I said it either, but my daughter, my oldest, um, she struggled a lot with, um, with different issues and it's tough. And one of the things that they've always, all of my girls have always been able to fall back on is lyrics. And, you know, I think I said this line to you once, um, you know, breathe each lyric in and live each lyric out. And that's what music means to me. Uh, it, it, it's so visceral. And that's what, that's what I want to impress upon people. If you've read the book, that's one thing. Okay. The, the book is phenomenal. It's fantastic. Get the audiobook. listen to it. Um, I don't recommend listening to it while driving. If you're, if you're triggered, <laughs> um, you know, it's. Or while going to bed. I don't recommend listening to it while going to bed because um, I've had multiple people tell me that they listen to audiobooks as they're going to bed but mine has kept them up for three hours right. or like two hours. Um, and so if you need your sleep, I would suggest not listening to it while going to bed. And here's the thing, like, thanks for saying that about the audiobook. And I feel, I try to make it very clear that when I say the audiobook is amazing, it's not because of me it's because of Tyler Posey, Posey. <clears throat> the actor who read it. Um, he's amazing. His reading of it is so good. And I mean, he actually got on board to do this um, just from like reading the book and relating to it, just like, you know, so many people have told me they have related to it. It's, it's not such a unique story that it's just like such a coincidence that you related to it. Sure. Um, you know, I think most people who probably listen to, you know, emo and punk did because it grabbed them and they it, they got hooked to it. But also, like at the at the foundation, it's a it's a story about heartbreak, and everyone's dealt with heartbreak. Yeah. And so, like, it's not that hard to relate to it the way I tell the story is my unique way of telling it. Um, but there's so many, like, I mean, I'm writing about how pop culture kind of tricked me into thinking these things and it's pop culture because it's popular culture. And therefore it's most likely tricked a lot of people into feeling the way that we do about music. And, um, and, and I think that's why, you know, so many people have told me they relate to it because it's, it's, a very relatable story you know it's not that unique of an experience i mean the the experience of locking yourself in a hotel room and taking a bunch of pills and drinking and writing is you know a little more unique but um the feelings in it are not and it's like you were saying earlier about how you know you listen to metallica and stuff but you listen to richard marx also 
I mean, I write in the book about how I started like singing and I started, or like, I talk about how somebody asked um, like what the first movie was. Someone on my Facebook asked what the first movie was that made you um, think about love or that like taught you about love. And I couldn't think of a movie, but I could think about the first songs that did. Mm -hmm. And it was like Brian McKnight, yep. um, One Last Cry, Brian Adams, Everything I Do, I Do It For You. Like not the coolest or like toughest like man songs, right. but who cares? Yeah. Like I remember, I mean, and I was like, I had to be like 10 when those songs came out and I was buying the cassette singles. I remember I had the cassette single of Brian McKnight's One Last Cry yes. and I would just listen to it over and over. Um, Cause yeah, I was like, I've been this like hopeless romantic guy, like my whole life. Right, right. And I don't know. I mean, the easiest thing to blame that on is like my parents getting divorced when I was like eight sure. or something. Um, and so I wanted to believe in, in the real thing being out there. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that like, it's a relatable story for, anybody but like the audiobook i've come to realize since it came out is the way that it's meant to be yeah. experienced it's not it's been it was a book first of course but it's meant to be experienced as an audiobook because i also got all the songs as you know i got the songs um i got permission to use the songs to mix them in there so when you're listening to it like for those who haven't read the book or heard the audiobook um there's a song that goes with every chapter and it pops up like a soundtrack. It's not an essay about the song, but it's like a movie where some, like some paragraphs will pass and then the song will swell up and the song will play and then we'll go back to the paragraphs. And so it's like a soundtrack, but those songs were playing when I was writing the book for the most part, or they relate to the story in one way or another. And hearing those songs as you're hearing the audiobook puts you in the book and the fact that it's read by Tyler Posey, who has experienced mental health issues himself, has experienced um, drug abuse and addiction himself. Um, and I mean, I'm not saying anything that he hasn't said publicly. Um, and so he reads it as someone who's experienced all this. And it, it, I love it because now when I listen, when I listen to the audiobook, it doesn't even feel like it's my book anymore. Sure which it's great because then I can experience it like a regular reader, I feel like. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is, it really is good because of it's like, him and because of the bands who let me use their music. It's like a scary Disney World ride. Um, listening to Tyler sort of devolve, if that's the right word, as the book goes along. Yes. Um, yeah. And it's subtle. It's not like, you know, it's not like, Jack Nicholson in The Shining, where it just boom, and he's nuts. <laughs> it's it's this, it's this subtlety that he brings to it that you know it really brings you along, and it's not that the music gets darker or whatever, but you can hear it in his voice. Yeah. Um. And man, the the craziest, like coolest thing, and I mean, maybe I shouldn't be so surprised because he is a great actor. Sure. Like I, I, he. For those who don't know who Tyler Posey is. He was the star of MTV's Teen Wolf series, which might make you think it, that's lame and cheesy, but go watch Teen Wolf. Like I started watching it after I met Tyler and I, I put one episode on and I probably watched four episodes in a row at least because it's, it's so good. 
and it's from the creator the guy who created it created criminal minds so like it's really good writing and it's great acting and it's great storytelling um and tyler did 100 episodes of that show um and he's amazing in it and he i didn't direct him at all with the audiobook he recorded it at home by himself on his own he needed no direction and that like he recorded like maybe two or three chapters and sent them to me because I was sure I was like, uh, I hope I'm not going to have to go out to, I mean, that's not true. I love going out to LA. So, um, I would have loved to have the excuse to go out to LA, right. but I didn't because he did not need any direction. He just, he was just the guy for it. And man, I can't imagine anybody doing it better. And you actually have a couple of interviews with him on your, um, on your site, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, after he, or while he was recording it, I went out to um, LA and sat down with him. Um, I think he was still in the process of recording it, I'm pretty sure. Um, and uh, sat down with him to talk about, you know, why he wanted to be part of it, what his experience was like recording it, how he relates to it and all that. We had a conversation for like an hour and a half, at least, and I've been chopping it up into video clips and putting it on my website, um, which is aburgerjoint.com, or you can go to rockbottombook.com. Um, and on YouTube, it's just aburgerjoint. Yeah, so there's there's a few videos out now. I'm still chopping up more. Um, you know, there's some where he talks about like his connection to the band Bayside and to Jimmy Eat World. And, you know, we even get into being suicidal and our experiences with drug abuse. When, when I was talking to him, he, he had gotten sober for a little while. Um, and, um, yeah, we talk about his sobriety. We talk about, um, you know, how he struggled when he was in acting in Teen Wolf as a child actor and, you know, how he felt like he needed to turn to drugs and stuff. And, um, it's great though, man, he really opens up and he, he was, Absolutely. Like his words were, we're the same person, just like in a different universe. Sure. Um, and he said, you know, like he connects with every line in the book. Like it's, it's crazy how much he and I have, it's just like me and you talking, yeah. you know, like, I mean, I knew we had stuff in common, but like, as you just like listed all that stuff, like we have a lot right. in common and it's the same with Tyler. Like he, he, like, I'm like nine years younger than you, I think. Um, 38, so eight, nine years. Yeah, somewhere in there. <laughs> um, and he, yeah, I, I admit I'm bad at math in the book too, but uh, Tyler's like nine or 10 years younger than me. And when we talked, it was the same thing. It's like, I, you know, we, we were very similar. Sure. Um, but yeah, man, like, I don't know. He does a great job. And the, the audiobook is so good because of him and because of like all the bands letting me use their music. I nerded out with Tyler a bit because he he's a huge Bayside fan and had a had a moment with Anthony and I mean he knows him personally now but like he he talks about in one of the videos I put out where Anthony um the singer from Bayside kind of made eye contact with him at a show and he was with his brother and like really feeling the show and it like felt like this moment and I I cut the videos down to like short clips because people don't watch long videos I guess um, but on my podcast, which is just, if you search a burger joint, you'll find my podcast. Um, I just, I put the long form interviews out there and 
I, I think I left it in. I might've been too embarrassed to leave it in, but uh, you can have it um, and you can leave it in if you want. Uh, there was this time. So I interviewed Matt Pryor from the Get Up Kids for my charity. I have a charity called Zero Platoon where I work with bands to reach out to people in the military who deal with mental health issues like I did when I was in the military. Um, and uh, one, of the, I, one of the interviews I did was with Matt Pryor when he was doing an acoustic tour a solo tour. Um, and we talked for like an hour um, or more, or probably like an hour. And then he interviewed me on his podcast when I went out on tour with the charity. Uh, so we talked for like another hour. And then I went to see a show here in New York City um, that I think it was the Where's the Band tour. Um, and Matt Pryor like saw me from the stage and he and he just like looks at me and he goes oh hey what's up Mike and I'm like holy shit like Matt Pryor from the Get Up Kids like in front of I don't know 500 people just said hey what's up to me right um and like man that's it's just like your Chris Caraba moment dude it's like um yeah. And what's funny I, is, I don't know. I, I remember the day when it was, um, was it just Chris? No, it was more than Chris Caraba shared the world dashboard, or was it just Chris, whoever shared the, the, uh, the audiobook stuff. And I was yeah. like, fuck you, Mike. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, I'll, I'll say this not to brag or not to, not, not for you to envy this, but uh, <laughs> to, prom to promote this raffle that's going on sure. right now and will still be going on if like throughout the entire month of May. Um, uh, I, I have a lot of autographed copies of the book. Uh, one sec, I'm gonna grab it. This is where I get jealous. <laughs> so I've, I'm, I'm raffling off copies of the book autographed by all the members of Bayside. Chris Caraba is right there. Um, AJ from The Dangerous Summer is right there. Matt Hoops from Reliant K is right there. Um, Josh Fiedler from The Juliana Theory is on there. And Tyler Posey is on the inside there. So I've got like eight of these that I'm raffling off um, to benefit the the Continuance Foundation, which is a charity that um, provides mental health services for musicians, because um, we need to help keep them alive, because they help keep us alive. Um, and um, I'm also going to be donating money to like artist and tour crew relief funds um, from that. But I have copies of the book autographed. I have limited edition rock bottom at the renaissance posters that are autographed by all those people too i've got koozies autographed by all those people i've got um two taylor swift cds that are autographed that i just bought she didn't do it for me um but uh uh there's a part in the book where there's a taylor swift song mentioned so it's all stuff that's like signed by artists mentioned in the book i even have two um Phoenix Sessions posters signed by Jimmy Eat World oh, wow. that I'm raffling off that I also bought. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, and raffle tickets are only a dollar. So if you go to rockbottombook.com, you'll see the thing for the raffle there. You can click on it and you can buy your raffle tickets there, buy as many as you want, split them through whatever you want. Um, but yeah, so I, when I went to LA to meet with Tyler and interview Tyler, 
um, Nick, the bass player from Bayside, and Chris, the drummer, live in Orange County. So I went and got this signed by them. But then I came home and I drove to Nashville and Jack from Bayside gave me his home address to go get oh, it wow. signed by him. Chris Carava gave me his home address to go get it signed by him. <laughs> um, and um, Anthony Ranieri from Bayside also gave me his address to go get it signed by him. Um, I mean, mainly because I didn't want to like inconvenience these guys. Sure. But here's the thing too, is like, I've been doing music journalism for 15, for 15 years. I've met these guys several times. I've met Anthony. I, I booked Bayside in like 2003 or two or three before they even had an album out. Um, and my band opened for them in front of nobody in my shitty little town. Um, so I've, I've known Anthony for a long time. Um, I've met Chris Caraba a bunch of times. He gave me his number at a festival so we could do something with my charity at some point. Um, we have, I I'm, I'm vetted enough for them to, you know, trust me on that. You have street cred. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I think I have professional cred. Yeah. Like, okay. It's not like they invited me over cause I'm their friend or anything. Right. But, uh, um, but yeah, so like, um, you can go to rockbottombook.com and find that stuff. Um, get your raffle tickets because it's all going to charity. Uh, yeah. And that, and, and, you know, and that's everybody out there knows, you know, the world ended sort of last year. Um, and, and when I say the world ended, obviously it didn't end. We're all still here. No meteor hit us yet. We had Chinese rockets falling out of the sky, whatever. Um, you know, oh yeah, whatever happened to that it, thing. Apparently, it went over the Indian Ocean and whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, really, <laughs> sadly, the world did end for a lot of our a lot of our friends, a lot of my actor friends, yeah. a lot of my singer songwriter friends, you know, musician friends in general. Um, you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm the same for Mike. You know, and um, these people they had streams of income that were just shut off. And, you know, it, it's, it's kind of sad because we had, um, we have the fairgrounds up here in Sussex County and they started reopening them to have drive-in concerts, which is a, a strange thing to think about. And they were yeah. charging X amount of dollars for a carload. Let's just say the number is a hundred dollars. Yeah. They were pretty pricey, right. but it's a carload. So. so someone said, well, don't these people know that we don't have any money? And I was like, wait a second, these people that are doing this for you to entertain you don't have any money themselves, which is why they're doing yeah. it. And if you were to go to, you know, a, a regular concert, you're paying, you know, forget about VIP or any of that other stuff. You're paying $25, $30 per ticket. You know, let's yeah. be honest. You know, when, when Jesse first started doing live streams every week, you know, I would pop in there. And even if I didn't pop in there, I'd still try to Venmo some cash, you know, if I had it or whatever. Um, because if we were going to watch it, it was just the same as if we were going to a show. Um, Chris Rowe from yeah. the Ataris has, has started a bunch of live streams lately, which... Um, you know, yeah, he was doing it pretty often, weekly, if not more. Yeah. Um, and I've donated money to him. Um, so yeah, this is... the what Mike says is true. It's a, it, they're very, very good causes. Um, you know, I've heard Mike say and read Mike say that he doesn't, this isn't about him getting rich. Um, you know, this is about putting, yeah. I mean, I don't even know how I could get rich off of this because I make so little money off <laughs> right. of it. Um, but, but no, I mean, fortunately, like we were talking about before we started recording, you know, I still have a full-time day job. 
my wife is a nurse and she still has a full-time job. Um, and so fortunately I don't depend on this book for my livelihood. Right. Um, and so it might be a little different. Otherwise I'd probably be homeless if that was the case. Cause, um, but yeah. Um, but no, I want to help people out in like, I had to reach out to every single band and their management and record labels and publishers in order to get to use the music in my audiobook. And I don't have a budget for that because I don't have money sure. um, and not that kind of money. Um, and so I told them all, like, I put this story out because I want people who are going through this to see that. Um, even while the book may not necessarily show a light at the end of the tunnel, there's a, there's a thread of hope through it and I'm still here. And so I want those people to feel less alone and their music helped me feel less alone. Right. Um, but also I, I mean, people have told me that reading this has helped them discover bands like two door cinema club. Mm -hmm or has like reminded them of bands like, um, you know, Acceptance or The Dangerous Summer, who's playing now, but stopped playing for a while. Um, and it's, I mean, I actually have friends who were introduced to The Dangerous Summer because of this book. And I love that because The Dangerous Summer is probably my top band when it comes to music that has kept me alive. You know, them and Bayside and Jimmy Eat World. Um, and so if this is, you know, reminding people or reigniting, you know, their interest in those bands or, you know, a, the two of the Bayside songs in here are from very early albums that people have told me they didn't know about. Um, and so I just like, it's the reason I became a music journalist is because I wanted to tell people about bands that I love. Sure. Um, but beyond that, like, I, you know, I've done whatever I could to like, I've, I've, you know, bought the tickets to the Bayside live streams and the NXPX live streams and the, um, um, you know, Dashboard has reissued so much vinyl and I've bought it. Like I was saying, like right there behind me, you could see I was listening today. Um, but uh, yeah. <laughs> the other one's upstairs. Um, <laughs> so impossible. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I'm doing whatever I can to support the bands and you know, they were nice enough to let me use their music for free. Um, and so I'm giving back by, you know, buying Jimmy Eat World posters to raffle off or, um, you know, buying whatever. I have I have so many new Bayside shirts um, from the pandemic and I've got like three new Dangerous Summer shirts from the pandemic. Um, but yeah, I mean, everybody, you know, if you have the ability to support bands, some of them are giving are, are still giving you the opportunities to the wonder years have been doing shows and putting out new merch um mxpx has been going hard on that but uh but yeah i mean to be honest it's it's a shame and surprising that only a few bands have given us the opportunity to, to support them over the last year right. um and it's a shame because i have a lot of musician friends who you know are complaining that they don't have a way to make money but 
Vinny Caruana from the movie life. Mm-hmm. He's been doing live streams, you know, from his apartment in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, and I've got, I've, you know, bought tickets and tipped on plenty of those. So like there's, there's people out there doing it and um, we should, you know, try to be supporting them as much as we can. Although, you know, people are announcing tours now coming back, but don't wait, you know, those people, those, those people still need it right now. Um, before the pandemic hit, I was actually like AJ, the singer from the dangerous summer has been such a huge supporter of this book. He was um, one of the first people I gave it to. And he, I mean, and like, I didn't know him. I had met him in the past, but I just gave him a, a kind of probably like what you did with Chris Caraba, except it was like a big printed at Kinko's spiraled um, version of my book. I gave him at a concert, um, but then he didn't read it until like a year later, I gave him an actual like paperback um, which I totally expected. I expected him to lose what I gave him in the first place. But, uh, but AJ loved the book and um, he is the first person who messaged, he messaged Hopeless Records to ask them to let me use his music for free in the audiobook, And they allowed it um, and kind of set the terms of the, the contract to, um, to help me kind of move forward sure. in getting the rest of the music. And so... Um, without his help, I, I probably could not have gotten the audiobook done. The Dangerous Summer is a band that has grown up, um, that he, so he has grown up a lot and he has experienced things in life. Like his band broke up and he lost his band for a long time. He's gone through divorce and he has a daughter too, um, and uh, doesn't have custody of her, but I mean, he sees her and he's, he's a great father um, and is in her life and stuff. Um, but you've, if you listen to his lyrics from the beginning, which are super dark and depressing uh, to now, and the last like couple, like two or three albums, the last two or three albums are so, I mean, not so positive, but you can see how he's like learned to be positive in life. Sure. And that's, I love that. Like, I love when bands grow up. And um, I think I brought it up because you were talking about kind of like this, you going through your divorce and stuff. And uh, and like the same thing with Bayside, you know, Anthony, um, the singer from Bayside, he went through a divorce and he sings about it in, on records. And, um, and now he's engaged um, to be married again. He's got a, a daughter too, as far as I think that's, I think he only has a daughter, but um but yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate so much when bands grow up and share their journey through growing up sure. because I need that, you know, I, I don't want them to just stay, you know, like I loved Blink-182's um, Untitled album because they grew up and were growing up with me as I was growing up. But then like when they came back with Matt Skiba and like California kind of like reverted to their immature kind of jokey sense and i don't i don't want that you know i want i I love it when a band can grow up with me um and and that's that's like the dangerous summer is like one of the best bands about that and it's tough for a band because i think a lot of times when they do something when when something becomes more mature 
um even taylor swift i mean you know she went back and she redid her album point i think love story is one of the best songs i've ever heard i love love story i don't know yeah, why that's great that's a great um, song. i actually just heard some some kid on tiktok um because i'm new to tiktok <laughs> um but i heard some kid on tiktok play the male version of that song and i was like holy shit i'm like this is really that's really funny. cool you know talking about it from a, romeo's point a- of view yeah, there's a girl named Jax, a female artist named Jax, J-A-X, and she does a lot of great, she's mainly on TikTok, but I found her on Instagram. She does a lot of great songs from the other perspective. Sure. She'll do like, hey there, Delilah from Delilah's perspective, or Stacy's mom from Stacy's mom's perspective. Nice. Um, it's, it's, she's really funny. And like, I've, I found her on Instagram right before she got a record deal from her TikTok success, right. but she has her own songs too, that are really great. Um, and uh, I actually want, I, so I want to make the book into a TV show. Um, and Tyler Posey is on board for that. If it, if I get my shit together and write a script. And jumping back to the book for a second, I, I and I, I, I think other people will see this too, is that I don't think if you write this book, I don't know that you make it out of that room that night. And I, and I don't mean that I was going to say this earlier and it. Wait, do you mean if I, if I don't write the if book, you, if you, as, if you didn't finish, if you didn't write the, didn't write the book, I don't think. Yeah. That, if I had just been, yeah. I think you were done, you know, and, and not yeah, by your yeah. own, you know, it's not like you put a gun in your mouth and pulled the trigger. You know. No, and, and that's the thing too. That's another thing that I've re- come to realize over the last year of talking about this book is that I never would have told you I was suicidal, but the level of recklessness from my of my behavior in those years, taking Xanax while doing cocaine and drinking to excess and, you know, taking Adderall too and just mixing pills and and booze the way that I did, and also bringing in other drugs sometimes, I, I was, you know, I wasn't actively or trying to kill myself, but I did not want to be alive. And I, I was okay with whatever happened, whatever would happen happening, you know, Um, fortunately, I'm still here. Uh, but yeah, no, that's that's a very fair assessment. Um, there's several times in the book, or there's like three or four times in the book that I talk about times I shouldn't have survived. But and, I'm it, here. It, and hearing those words as they're being spoken by Tyler again, it, it's stupid. I mean, it's it and stupid yeah. in a good way, like stupid crazy that it, you just people out there, you're gonna be sucked in and you should be, um, you know, this is, um, May is mental health awareness month. Um, yeah. you know, it's not mental illness awareness month as, as you have actually yeah. said. Um, and mental health is one of the, the, and I'm not going to get political, even though we're on the same spectrum. Um, but mental health is one of the things that's, that's seriously ignored in this country. Um, especially in our veteran population, um, you know, a lot of our vets come back and they're, you know, they're just supposed to be normal people again after watching everything that they've seen overseas. And you were in the military, you know this. Um, but it, it's 
this book is not rainbows and unicorns and happy endings and, you know, everything else like that. Obviously, since you're still here, you know, there is sort of a, um, there's sort of a, a, I don't want (laughs) to, that little girl is a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Let's be honest. (laughs) Oh, for sure. But that pot of gold, it came after a very long rainbow, you know, and in fact, a very long journey to anything even closely resembling a rainbow. Um, and that's why that journey doesn't start in the book, because when that book ends, that part of my life did not right. end. I still dealt with that stuff for a very long time. And so I didn't, um, I mean, like I said, I didn't go back and change anything from the book. So I wasn't going to go and add a happy ending sure. or anything. Um, but people, including my wife, pointed that out that, you know, usually in books like that, people have a silver lining or say like here's where I am now and and I I would have had to write three more years of stuff to get to where things started getting better you know um and so I didn't want I didn't want anybody going through this stuff to think they were more fucked up than me Mm -hmm. because my story got better at a certain point and if theirs didn't well then they must have it harder than me right So like, I'm not going to tell you like it gets better right away or it gets easier or that was a weekend and then everything the next day was fine because it wasn't. And that's, that's one of the things, if you remember the, it gets better campaign for people that were coming out, you know, it was, I I loved the idea behind it. Um, I struggled with the execution of that idea. So it was like, it gets better. Well, you know what? I got the shit kicked out of me. Not that, you know, I was, I was coming out of the closet, but I got the shit kicked out of me for years. Um, and it didn't get better. <laughs> it's just, you know, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's going to be better. Well, no, it's not. And again, that goes back to the visceralness, to the realness of rock bottom is that, you know, you're not going to sit there and get, oh, well, you know, he woke up and everything was great. And, you know, he went out and had a pretzel and no, it's not like that because there's so much more after that. And yeah, but what I do like is the fact that, you know, you can put down this book and then you can say, oh, well, he's still here. So, you know what? And that's what I try to point out too, is that like, um, I, I, compare it to early Bayside records and early dangerous summer records. And in early Bayside records, Anthony would sing about cutting his wrist. You know, I don't know if he ever did. I don't think he ever did, but he turned it into lyrics into a song to help him get past that, you know, and that song helped me get through stuff. And that's what I want people to see too. In this book is that like, you don't even have to, I'm not saying you have to turn it into a book or a song either, you know, like just, you might be a person who can just tell a friend what you went through and that's valuable enough, you know? Um, I mean, thousands of people haven't read this book. Like who knows if thousands of people ever will read this book. A handful of people have messaged me on Facebook or Instagram and have told me that, you know, it's, helped them feel less alone in this but you know even if that weren't the case me putting it out made me feel better about this stuff me being able to talk about this stuff made me feel better about it 
and made me feel less ashamed about it and is helping me cope with it better. So, um, yeah, I mean, whatever you're going through right now can be turned into something and help you get past it, you know, and that's all I want people to see for this. If, if you could tell anybody out there that was struggling with whatever, um, whether it's a breakup or a divorce or, you know, getting fired at a job or whatever, that is really sending them into a down, a downward spiral. What, what would your greatest piece of advice be? Um, uh, uh, man, that's tough. That's a tough question. You'd think I, you'd think I would, I'd have something for this, but, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like I try to feel like, look, I mean, I only, I only feel this way now because I did the work on myself and, and that's absolutely what it takes. No job is going to make you feel better. No girl is going to make you feel better. A guy is going to make you feel better or, you know, accomplishment is going to make you feel better. I mean, I freaking won an Emmy at Comedy Central, which, you know, is definitely something I was a goal of mine. Um, And I feel really good about it. I'm super proud of it. But some of that stuff in the book came after that, you know? And so it didn't fix my life. Um, so the only, here's the advice. The only thing that's going to make it easier for you to deal with um, disappointments and, you know, failures um, in air quotes, if you're just listening to this, uh, is working on your mental health. Like, and, you know, like we were just saying, like, it's, it's, mental health awareness, not mental illness awareness. So it doesn't matter if you're diagnosed with depression or anxiety disorder, like I am. Mental health means everybody has mental health sure. and should be concerned with their mental health. And, you know, that's meditating, that's, you know, exercising, that's sleeping well, which I don't do. Um, I'm not, I'm not telling, I'm not telling you I'm a pro at this. I'm just saying like, I'm, you know, what, what helps me is when I get the right amount of sleep and when I actually go to the gym and when I actually meditate in the morning and, you know, when I take time to breathe or to, I've been reading more because it helps me like stop, focus on one single thing. Cause 90% of my time when I'm awake, I'm focused on 20 different things. Mm-hmm. And so meditating and reading helps me just stop and focus and take a breath and start off on a calm, on a more calm, you know, first step of the day. Um, but it's hard work and it never stops. It's I, just like exercise and being, staying in shape. Like I, you I have, think, it's hard work. I, I think one of the greatest pieces of, of advice that was ever given to me, um, and this is a kid that was a special education student, um, that was considered emotionally disturbed, air quotes for people that are um, just listening. But, um, you know, I've, I fought my way out of a lot. And I, one of the greatest pieces of advice I was ever given to me was given to me by a teacher. And they said, allow yourself to feel what you feel. And 
that was very hard for me because I would feel something and I'd be like, oh no, I need to push that away, push that away, push that away. And then eventually it came to a point where I was like, no, I'm going to feel, this is what I feel. And I'm not going to, you know, hate myself for feeling this way. This is the way that I feel. And, you know, my my girlfriend has actually said before, I don't want to keep calling her my girlfriend. Gina has often said to me, um, you know, you can't blame someone for how they feel. You can't be mad at someone for how they feel. This is how they feel. And you have to allow them to feel how they feel. So it was sort of like that whole, that whole thing came 360, you know? And so in centering myself, I write, um, I might just write blah, 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 literally on the paper. And, but at some point I look down and there's words there, you know, um, doing this, you know, my podcast. And that, that was one of the biggest things that was, it was tough for me for a year because my former co-host Donnie, um, and I, I hope he's out there listening, um, at some point, you know, when, when, when this is out, um, I thought I had my new best friend and it, it destroyed me inside when he let outside pressures get to him and take him away from, from this and what I thought was really helpful for him and for me and this thing that we had together. Um, you know, and I, I message him once a month, I don't get a reply but I message him once a month and I'm like, Hey, Donnie, just letting you know, I let him know that I was doing this, um, you know, starting this new thing um, because I need this in my life. And I don't yeah. care if one person listens. I don't care if 500 people listen. I don't care if 500,000 people listen, um, you know, and that's why for me, it was important because now it's come full circle. I've been able to, you know, finally get you here um, because I mean, like, like I told you, I mean, I've kind of lived vicariously through you in this experience, you know, watching this all unfold and realizing the the work and the effort that you put into it and, you know, watching you talk about your family and your wife and your, your, your brand new daughter. Um, and by yeah. the way, again, welcome to the, uh, I'm not going to call myself a punk dad because I'm not, um, I'll call myself an emo dad. Um, you know, so welcome to oh, that, man. that. Let me show you. Brotherhood. <laughs> uh... So my my wife got me this for I think my birthday, but I love that this that sad dad hat. That is great. That is great. And I, you know, yeah, I, so I, I'm definitely in the emo dad. I knew group. I knew how excited you were. You know, I followed your posts and your you know your your musings about it and everything else. And uh, brother, you're in for a yeah, roller coaster. We're gonna have to. <laughs> oh no, I know. And I'm definitely we're gonna have to have some conversations about that too because. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, even if it's just like talking about the, the cool parts, but also the, I mean, I got plenty to learn. Oh, so yeah. And I, you know I, what? You, I will definitely hit you up about that. So Julia's 21, Taylor's 20, and Emily will be 19 in July. So she's still 18. But, you know, and I was not the perfect father. I admit that wholeheartedly. Um, you know, I failed yeah, but a lot. I mean, from what you've, what I've seen and you know, what you, what you've told me and stuff, it's, and here's the thing too, it's like, I, it's, it's funny. I, I was going to say this earlier cause we were on this topic, but, uh, um, I mentioned in the book how my dad wasn't around when I was growing up. And then there was a point where I cut him out of my life for four years and didn't talk to him. Um, and 
then when I was 24, I needed his advice on something and I called him and he was there for me. And ever since then, 14 years have passed. We've had the best relationship. I mean, we've had the best relationship we've ever had, but we have a great relationship now um, because we've learned how to have a relationship together. And he's been a, he's been a great dad. And on the other hand, in the book, I write about my mom being so great because she raised us right. and she did all this stuff. But since then, I've kind of, I discovered how toxic that relationship was. And my mom has done some pretty ugly and said some ugly things to me. And I haven't talked to her in years because she just won't apologize for it. I, and as an adult, like a big part of my mental health progression is cutting toxic people out of my life, whether they're my mother or my father. Like, there's no point in me having, letting that stay in my life, you know, if, if they don't know how to be, you know, apologetic or, you know, take responsibility for their actions, then there's no reason for me to keep that in my life. And so like, I, I say a lot of nice things about my mom in the book. And then after the book came out, a lot of bad things happened. And now I don't even talk to my mom. I was made to kind of feel that my mom was this horrible, maniacal person and that, um, you know, she didn't, she didn't care about me. She was basically dead. If she wasn't really dead, who knows? So fast forward, we tried to start a relationship. It didn't really work out. And then she kind of vanished again. Well, I get a call about two years ago that says from my sister, um, my half sister, Jennifer, that says um, she has stage four lung cancer. And your sister, your mom, my, my mother. So I was like, I didn't, I was actually on my way into a rehearsal and I was like, all right, well, I'll process that and figure out what I need to do with that. And that was it. So I called my dad on the way home and my dad's bawling his eyes out. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I mean, Jesus, you know, why is this affecting you so much when you know, and you're mad at me now because I don't feel the same feelings that you do. And I'm like, dad, you could have told me that the mailman had cancer. And I would have been like, oh, wow, that would have probably hit me more because I at least know yeah. the mailman, you know, and about a, about a week before she passed, she died on December 7th, last, uh, 2020. Um, I got a call from my sister and said that she's, you know, going into hospice and this, that, and the other thing. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll try to call her. And I didn't. And I, I talked about it. I counseled, got counsel on it from Gina, from my dad. And he was like, my dad especially said, well, I mean, if you don't have any regrets, then that's, that's fine. But yeah, you need to, you need to reconcile those feelings with yourself. And yeah, a lot of people don't understand that that's possible. Yeah. And like, I, I, you know, when I cut my dad out for four years, I, had absolutely no regret in fact it's what made us able to have a relationship later and i i mean the things my mom said to me like i have no problem like not having her in my life that's sure. and, and um I, I, yeah. I told my sister she was in the hospital with her and i was going to call her that day and i said do me a favor i said tell her that i love her and there's no doubt in my mind that I love my mother. She led a complicated and different life. And, but I wouldn't be here 
without her. And, you know, maybe my love of music came from both of them and maybe certain things. I mean, I look like everybody on her side of the family. So maybe some of those things came from her. I know there was mental illness in my family, you know, and, you know, I'm sure that some of the things that I deal with every day come from that side of the family. But I, I just, I told Jennifer, I said, tell her I love her. I said, and that's, that's all I need to tell her. So if I don't get to say it, then you can say it. I don't think there's any reason, like I could have gone onto a tirade as she was, you know, dying in a hospital bed. What good would that have done me? You know, I cried. You're a better man than I, than I am. <laughs> and, and, and Mike, that took, that took a lot. I mean, it really, really took a lot. I, you don't know. Um, I don't think I've told you this. You probably seen me post about it. I lost my son in 1998. He was two and a half months old. No, I didn't. I didn't know that. And that was how that didn't kill me. I, I still don't know. I, I really don't. Yeah. Um, you know, it was the most horrible thing in my life ever. I don't think anybody else, and I hate telling you this because you have a new baby, but. Um, no, I mean, it doesn't it, bother, I mean, it doesn't bother me in that sense. Right. What, um, was, was he your first or did you have daughters no, already? he was my firstborn. So Tyler, oh, okay. Tyler was born on December 23rd, 1997, um, passed away on Friday, the 13th, March 13th, 1998. And, um, you know, that was, that was another thing. It kind of, I had been in spirals before strangely this didn't send me into the spiral that i thought it would um but it was horrific i hate cry over it even to this day um I can't. well i'm glad i'm 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 glad that you like shared that because that's also and, and again like what i was saying about and i'm not like trying to bring this back around to the book i'm trying to point out that um something i want people to think about too is that something I've learned in therapy is that our pain is not unique you know like our of course we all feel that it is and we all feel that it's the worst thing that's ever happened to anybody ever sure. um but what you just told me is a million times worse than anything I experienced in the book you know and whatever somebody listening to this right now is going through they might think it's the worst thing that's ever happened to anybody ever, but somebody else might say something to them someday that's a million times worse than what they're going sure. through right now. And that doesn't mean we don't get to feel the pain, right. but it, it means like you said, you don't know how you lived through that, mm -hmm. but you did live through it. And I lived through my thing that I thought I wasn't, that I almost died. Like in the book, I almost died from what I was going through. Sure but I lived through it and you lived through your, your experience. And so that's why I'm saying, I'm glad that you brought it up because I think one of the most important things to get across is that we've all lived through, if we're alive right now to hear this, we've all lived through the worst thing we've ever lived through. Sure. So the next worst thing, we still have the ability to live through that worst thing. You know, it, it, um, it, it's funny to bring up uh, to, to bring up a, a light, lighter part of that, though. If you remember the movie Office Space, there's actually like a, a scene where he says every day that I wake up, I'm going through the worst day of my life. And the, exactly, the counselor's yeah. like, that's pretty messed up. 
<laughs> so yeah <laughs> but, but uh again the book is rock bottom at the renaissance an emo kid's journey through falling in and out of love within and with new york city and i i will always say the whole entire title because rock bottom at the renaissance doesn't do it enough credit um thanks man. the author is mike henneberger um you can check him out at a burger joint you can check him out at rockbottombook.com is that yep. right? And um, yeah. all the uh, links and uh, descriptions, everything will be below. There'll be a link to the audiobook, which you can get through exclusively through Audible right now, right? Um, yep. So there'll be a link to that. There'll be a link to the, the regular paperback copy of the book. And most importantly to me is um, all of the, uh, the raffles that are going to be going on. So that way we can uh, make sure that we are supporting our fellow artists. Um, and and making sure things get done so mike thank you from the bottom of my heart i really Man, thank you i'm so glad we got to do this i i i feel like if i didn't have a dinner to cook and a new baby in the other room <laughs> that my wife has been taking care of all day well also i have our taxes to finish i just remembered oh, you, and you only have two hours uh, and 43 yeah, I guess minutes so uh, it's okay. I'm mostly done. I'm just doing expenses from my production company. Now. I had to do my dad's so, taxes yesterday. So I had completely dropped. If I didn't have all that to do, I'm sure we could go on for hours well, and hours you, more, but nobody needs to listen to there that. There you go. Like, you, you'll have to promise me that when we talk about this movie up, oh, I got to look over here. Wait, which way? This way. Up here. I love you, man, because I know it happens to be one of your favorites. <laughs> it's actually, actually, yeah. I actually listen to that when I go to sleep a lot. <laughs> I put movies on and shut the screen off and just listen to the audio. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, when we talk about a couple of these other movies, I'm I'm gonna have to bring you back on as a panelist. Oh yeah, I'd love to come on and just talk about a movie. That'd be great. Like happy shit. <laughs> we need to talk about yeah. happy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Although I'm sure I'll be able to turn it into some some sad shit. So again, Mike, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Um, guys, it's been great getting back behind this microphone that you can't see because I'm by my green screen but um i love you all of you guys i'm glad i'm back i'm glad you're back um we will talk to you later and as i always used to say i am out good night the rock and horror Popcast show is brought to you by dockside productions recorded in studio 217 in opatcong new jersey and mixed through the magic of audacity our theme song is The Flood from the album Brightside by Mike Herbs and can be found on Apple Music and Spotify. Please check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Like, follow, and subscribe to be kept up to date on everything new.